Many types of electromagnetic waves satisfy the wave equation, but we think that plane waves are the best way to start to understand these types of waves. After all, the light from the sun, the radio waves from your favorite radio station, and lots of other electromagnetic waves are essentially plane waves by the time you receive them. That's because waves that start out as spherical or cylindrical waves look a lot like plane waves when you get far enough away from the source. So what exactly is a plane wave? It's a wave in which the surfaces of constant phase are flat planes. Now you may be wondering what we mean by surfaces of constant phase. After all, in the one-dimensional waves we've been considering so far, the phase changes, say, along the position of the string, so a given phase occurs at a point. But now we're dealing with three-dimensional waves. These are waves which have extent in more than one dimension. So instead of talking about the phase at a given point, we have to talk about the phase over an area. Those areas of constant phase are what we're talking about as planes in this case. So if you picture a three-dimensional wave propagating in the z-direction, every point in any given x-y plane has the same phase as any other point in that same plane. You can see the equation of such a z-propagating plane wave in equation 5.8. Notice that this is a vector equation. So although the sine kz minus omega t term is very much like the equivalent term in the wave functions in previous chapters, in this case, the amplitude coefficient e0 has both magnitude and direction. That's because this term has to specify not just the amplitude of the wave's electric field, it has to tell you which way that field is pointing. The same is true for the magnetic field, as you can see in equation 5.9. And we've written the components of the vector amplitudes E0 and B0 in equations 510 and 511. But what are those components? You can learn a lot about them by applying Gauss's law and Faraday's law. Gauss's law for the electric field is written in equation 512. And what it tells you is that for an electromagnetic wave propagating in the z direction in a vacuum, you can be sure that EZ must be zero. That is, in a vacuum, a z-propagating electromagnetic field cannot have any component of the electric field in the z direction. You'll see in a minute that that's also true for the magnetic field. So that means that these are transverse plane electromagnetic waves. To see how that comes about from equation 512 for the electric field, think about this. Since the xy planes are surfaces of constant phase, both the partial of ex with respect to x and the partial of ey with respect to y must be zero. There can be no changes in those components over those planes because the phase must be constant over those planes. And if those two terms are zero, then the third term in equation 512, the partial of EZ with respect to Z, must also be zero. But that means that any component EZ is constant along the Z axis in the direction the wave is propagating. And you know that the E field must change in the direction of wave propagation. So that means that EZ must be zero. And the same argument can be made for BZ. That means that the electric field for a z-propagating plane electromagnetic wave in free space can only have x and y components, and the same is true for the magnetic field. Before showing what such a plane wave looks like, we use Faraday's law to derive a relationship between the x and y components of E and B. You can see those relationships in equations 513 and 514, and as it says in the text, the chapter end problems can help if you don't see how to get those results from Faraday's law. The last paragraph before the example makes an important point. The electric and magnetic fields are perpendicular not only to the direction of propagation, 
they're perpendicular to one another. Once again, the chapter and problems can help you understand how that comes about from these equations. The rest of this section shows sketches of the electric and magnetic fields for an electromagnetic plane wave, and you can see the electric field part of that wave in figure 5.3. In this figure, the arrows represent the field, and we've drawn a lot of arrows closely spaced together where the field is strong. You can also tell the direction of the field by which way the arrows are pointing. In addition to the pictorial representation of the field strength with those arrows, we also show a plot of the strength of the electric field as it varies along the z-axis. There are similar plots for the magnetic field in figure 5-4. Notice that both the electric and magnetic field are perpendicular to the z direction of propagation, and they're perpendicular to one another. We put both the E and B fields on the same graph in figure 5-5. This you probably recognize because it is the prototypical sketch of an electromagnetic wave that you're very likely to run into in just about any physics or engineering book that deals with these kinds of waves. A note on these figures, as it says in the text, we depict the E and B fields using the same size arrows, but in reality, the ratio of E in volts per meter to B in Teslas is the speed of light, as we show in equation 515. The last bit of this section is our attempt to help you understand something that confuses a lot of physics students, and that's the EM radiation from an oscillating electric dipole, as shown in figure 5.6. The point of confusion is the relationship between the E-field lines shown in the canonical electromagnetic wave sketch in figure 5.5 and the very different looking electric field lines in figure 5.6. That relationship is explained in figure 5.7 in which you can see both the plane wave electric and magnetic fields and the dipole electric field lines in the same graph. We hope this helps. The final section of this chapter deals with the energy, power, and impedance of electromagnetic waves.